Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Audio Leader's Guide for Come Let Us Worship, our study on Psalms. I am going to be going over Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, and I'm starting on page 10, which actually gives us the introduction to the book of Psalms. So at the top of my page, I have a note. It's time to begin a beautiful walk through the book of Psalms. And then in the middle of that first italicized paragraph, I've underlined the true way to find happiness is laid out before us in the Psalms. So you could read that just to get you going. And then in the third paragraph, just read as a reminder, we're going to start at the beginning and then look at one Psalm after another based on the order that the compiler of this great book created under divine inspiration. We'll see that the final author had a reason for arranging the Psalms in this particular order. So now, you leader, I want you to set the stage and get things started. Direct their attention to the middle of page 10. And you can just state this, saying, um, let's go ahead and look at how we know that someone put it all together on purpose. We looked at Psalm 42. The heading given at this point in the Psalms is book Two. So I want you, the leader, to go ahead and just stay that, state that so that the ladies will know if they're off to the right start because some might have read the title of the psalm instead of seeing that it says book two um, above where it says Psalm 42. And if someone's like, hey, hold on, I didn't get that, then, you know, just have them look in their Bible um, the answer is not for the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So just wanted to um, hopefully get us started in the right direction by you giving the right answer. Now say um, to for anyone to answer this next question, how does the previous psalm end? Please read what you wrote from Psalm 41, 13. So hopefully you can tell that I do revise the questions just a little bit, but don't get too far off because ladies are looking at their workbooks and they want to see where we are. And sometimes they need to hear the exact words that are on the paper to know where we are. So just as you're leading, just keep in mind, try to um, regularly tell them where you are on the page or what page you're on, that kind of thing. So how did the previous psalm end? Psalm 41, 13 said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And we're going to call that a doxology. And then um, someone else tell me, when you turn to Psalm 73, what heading did you see given above Psalm 73? This would be book three. Uh, hopefully, any, hopefully, ladies could even answer this together. You know, answer all together if you want to, book three. How did the previous psalm end? What did you write from Psalm 72, 18 and 19? Could someone please read that? Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders 
and blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And then everybody, uh, when you looked at Psalm 90, what heading did you find above that psalm before that psalm began? Book four. And then were you already looking at the end of the previous psalm? What verse is did you write from Psalm 89.52? Or well, please read the verse that you wrote. Psalm 89.52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Um, it's, I can't help myself but give just a little preview right now. That um, section of the Psalms is short, as I mentioned at the top of page 11, and that section involves some difficult times for the nation of Israel. And it's interesting that the doxology is very short, but there is one. So even in hard times, and we'll see this when we get there, but I'm just reminded right now, even in hard times, we need to bless the Lord even if we can't go on and on. I mean, this one's not as long as the one that's at the end of Psalm 72. That may be way above and beyond what you want to talk about or bring attention to, especially if this, if it doesn't, if what I just said doesn't make sense. But it crossed my mind, so I shared it with you. All right, leaders, at the top of page 11, I think you should state that the, just say it, the heading that we saw before Psalm 107 was book five. So, um, ladies, tell someone tell me what was the conclusion to book four that we saw in Psalm 106.48. Oh, I actually said everything I just said wrong, didn't I? Three, four, five. No. Um, yes. Sorry. Psalm 89.52 was the conclusion of book three, but it still is appropriate what I said. So, book three is short. Book three is about difficulties in Israel, and Psalm 89.52 is a conclusion to the difficulties that were going on in Israel. Blessed be the Lord forever. Okay, so back to page 11, and um, we said the heading given before Psalm 107 is book five. I want you to just tell him that. And what is the conclusion to book four in Psalm 106.48? Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. I loved that. I had to put it in all caps when I wrote it. Now, in the middle of the next question, just read, you looked at the first lines of Psalms 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150. What refrain was repeated in each of these Psalms? And all the way through the very last one. And just pause and someone will speak or they'll all speak together. They'll all say, praise the Lord or blessed be the Lord. And um, what refrain was repeated? Praise, 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 praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So that was a um, brief, easy overview of the whole book of Psalms very quickly. And please just one more time uh, emphasize the sentence in the middle of that first italicized paragraph. As we study the Psalms together, we will see that the Psalms are ordered in such a way as to lead us to think correctly about our God and to respond to him according to who he is. 
Now we're going to go in depth in Psalm 1. So we're actually going to turn the page to the top of page 12 and jump right in looking at the clear word pictures that contrast godly lives versus ungodly lives. So you could note by the title of the blessed man that this is a description of the godly life. You could note that the description of the wicked man is a description of an ungodly life. I'd like for one person to read what they wrote um, listed under the blessed man. So let's just do one list at a time. I have that the blessed man is happy. That's verse 1. Verse 2, he delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree, or she is like a tree, who bears fruit in season. Her leaf doesn't wither. Whatever he or she does prospers. And from verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Then for the description of the wicked man, the contrast, um, and I see in my instructions that I said list these contrasts side by side, and I hope that that doesn't throw anybody off, that they have to see a, a clear um, parallel um, that matches up from verse to verse or phrase to phrase. Like it doesn't have to say black, white, happy, sad. It's just general, this is a general contrast between the blessed man and the wicked man. You might want to mention that at the beginning in case someone was looking that hard for um, that much of a um, contrast. Okay, so the wicked man is following the advice of the wicked, taking the path of sinners, joining mockers, or some versions say scoffers. That's all from verse 1. From verse 4, the wicked man is like chaff. He will be blown away. Verse 5, he will not survive in the judgment. He will not be in the community of the righteous. And from verse 6, the way of the wicked leads to ruin. I'll also note here that I am using the Holman Christian Standard Bible and I'm also referring to the New American Standard Bible. And um, that's what I've been doing my homework on Psalm 1 and 2 with. I also use the New King James a lot. If ladies are using the New Living Translation, they may have some phrases that sound, um, they're, they're okay and they make sense and they're good. They just will sound a little different. Um, okay. The key to man's blessedness is found in verse 2. What makes a man happy? Have someone answer that. And they may just read what verse 2 said. They may have written down verse 2. That is fine, but we are emphasizing that the key, what makes a man happy, is delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. Was that convicting to anyone? Encouraging, um, challenging, a good reminder. You don't have to spend a lot of time talking about it, but you might just um, urge them to acknowledge the instruction given there and check themselves. 
Well, we want to make sure that we understand the words in that verse. So we look them up in the original Hebrew. The law, Strong's 8451, is the Hebrew word Torah. And I looked at Strong's, the basic definition that it gave was probably not surprising, a precept or statute, especially the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. This is law. If they used Esword or another resource and saw from um, Brown Driver Briggs the words instruction and direction, that is accurate and that is really what the original definition of Torah means. Originally, and the main emphasis of the concept of Torah is that it is direction, instruction. It can be a single law. It can be the summary, the contents of the law. But I want to um, very much bring to everyone's attention at this particular word and with this definition, if someone doesn't share this, and if they do, then emphasize it, direction and instruction. So when you think of Torah, when you think of the first five books of the Bible, when you think of God's law, just the word law, we need to have that word be a trigger for not a rule like go 55 miles an hour is the speed limit, but basic instruction, general teaching and direction for our whole life. God's good teaching to us. All right, so law, Torah, really big deal. <laughs> so law is not the best translation for us in our Bibles. Teaching or instruction would be so much better to be reading um, Delighting in the instruction of the Lord. And then we'll look at the word meditate. And this is a very important word. It's the Hebrew word Hagah. And um, I'm not sure exactly what Strong says. But in the meaning we have to moan, growl, utter, muse, mutter, meditate, devise, plot, speak. Um, another dictionary lexicon that I have says this is to read in an undertone and to ponder. All of these meanings are not applicable in Psalm 1. This particular word haga has does have all of these meanings and we're actually going to see so, uh, one aspect of this word used in Psalm 2, and I'll tell you about that, but in Psalm 1, based on the context, um, delighting in the law of the Lord and, uh, you know, moaning about it, that's, don't, don't think of moaning about the word of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord as arguing against it, complaining against it. Um, growling about it, um, only if you're thinking that a growl is some low sound. So to read it out loud, to mutter and meditate, to say it over and over again, that's appropriate. But then when you see the word devise and plot, those two things are not the right uh, English application definition of the word Haggah. 
But that's how the word Haggah is going to be used in Psalm 2. Well, I'm going to explain that more in my lecture, and I will mention it again in Psalm 2. But for us here, what we're wanting to see is Haggah means to mutter, muse, speak about it, speak softly, read it in an undertone, go over it again and again and again, um, which is something that you do with a plot, a plan, um, when you're devising something. But that's not the right application for this particular psalm. And now we get a beautiful word, delight. Strong's 2656. It's the Hebrew word chefetz. The C-H is always a hard K. You might want to think of it as a K-H instead of a C-H, chefetz. There's no ch in the Hebrew language that I can think of. I could be wrong, but... Um, the Hebrew word is kefetz, or just use a K if you don't want to make it a KH sound. Like chesed, chesed is C-H-E-S-E-D, which we will have later in our workbook. All right, delight, hefetz. The Hebrew definition is joy, pleasure. It could be a wish. I also have costly jewels and a fair and business those don't really work in there, but you can see how there is joy and pleasure in what you wish for and in costly jewels, and hopefully you can enjoy your work as well. But specifically, delight, take joy in, take pleasure in. So I asked the question in the paragraph below, um, did you learn in your research that the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah and the word essentially means teaching or instruction? Okay, I've really... Um, emphasize that. This concept helps us understand how Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are called the law. They are the words of the Lord that have been recorded for our instruction. And now the question, do you take great delight in the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? And some may nod, uh, some may shake their heads no, you may have some uh, answers out loud, probably not real loud. Just as you observe the reaction to the group, you might ask, do you have a favorite of any of these books? Or you could also ask them, did Psalm 2, did this verse about delighting in the Torah prompt you to change your attitude about any of the books of the Bible um, or, or encourage you? Um, I'm also reminding myself right now that we're only uh, really on page one of our homework discussion, even though we did the little introduction. There is another psalm to get to, so I tend to get bogged down early on and then have to speed up at the end. Just watch your time. So we'll go to page 13 now. Our delight in the law of the Lord will lead us to take action. What is that action? How often does the blessed man meditate on God's word? What are practical ways to meditate on God's word? So let's talk about these questions. How often does he meditate? Day and night. What are practical ways to meditate on God's word? Some things that came to mind for me were to read it, repeat it, say it, hear it, hear it in music. See the Word of God in 
cards and posters and post-it notes and um, paintings, wherever. And then I also just was pausing and thinking, like, what else would make me meditate on the Word of God? And I want to, and this is not a daily activity, which it should be, but I want to look at the daily circumstances of my lives or even um, things that I see out in front of me and have those things trigger God's Word to my mind to think about. I'm looking out in my backyard and trees, and that's appropriate for Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. He will be like a tree um, who bears fruit in season. So um, I've also made some notes that to meditate, I could be creative, but I also need to be disciplined in meditating. And there's even value in being routine in meditating on God's word. These things were convicting to me to bring into fresh action in my life. So I gave everyone the opportunity to meditate on Psalm 1 verse 2. And in the middle of the page, I asked you to choose one of the words from the verse and and think about what it meant. So let's talk about that. What word did you choose and what were your thoughts? And let's hear from more than one person. Um, I, the word instead actually stood out to me in the Holman Christian Standard Version. And it's meditating on his word, God's word, rather than, and God's teaching, rather than all the stuff and the words and the teaching the talking that comes from the world. And then I also, um, while we only needed to choose one word, I also highlighted and thought about the word night. So um, that was also convicting to me because I don't, I'm not a night person, so I'm not really meditating on the word of God at night. And I think that I need to find a way to do that. And then as you come to the end of this lesson, ask if anyone wants to share how they rewrote the verse as a prayer. They don't have to, but does anybody want to? And then you as the leader will summarize as I did at the bottom of page 13. This first psalm inspires us to meditate on the word of God and live according to its teachings rather than any counsel of wicked men or counsel of the world. And at the end of that sentence, I would just make a little note and state that's what gives us a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective when we are meditating and knowing and processing everything according to the word of God. And then one other reminder, Psalm 1 is a part of the introduction to the book of Psalms and it shows us how to have a proper response to the instruction of the Lord, and that's going to be to worship him. Now we'll look at Psalm 2, which is another part of the introduction to the whole book of Psalms. So we'll just go to page 14 and begin in the middle of the page. The question is, what key word from Psalm 1 is found in the last phrase of Psalm 2? To whom does this word apply? So I hope that they'll see the key word or 
the word that's repeated is either happy or blessed. That's the answer, blessed. <laughs> and to whom does that word apply? It applies to the one who takes refuge in him. And who is him? As you look at Psalm, uh, the end of Psalm 2, it's the Lord and it is his son. Under that question, I have given the information of the genre of this psalm. It is a royal psalm because it's about the king. And it's a messianic psalm because it is preparing us and telling us that the son of God is who the king is. And we know from the New Testament that the son of God is Jesus. We are going to look at this psalm. It has four parts. And in each part, there is a speaker that's particularly the psalmist. And sometimes the psalmist is speaking himself. And sometimes the psalmist is quoting someone else. So part one is Psalm 2, 1 through 3. The question is, what's wrong with the world? And the speaker in this part is the psalmist. And he is telling us what's wrong with the world. So ask the ladies, how would you answer this question? What's wrong with the world? I have nations rebel. People plot. Rulers are against the Lord and his anointed. And that means they're against his anointed king. It is in this particular passage, um, and specifically in verse 1, in the New American Standard, it says people devise. That word devise is the same word that's in Psalm 1 verse 2, which was translated as meditate. So, in Psalm 2, verse 1, the people, haga, they mutter, they moan, they growl, they repeat the same thing while they're devising um, bad things, <laughs> aggression, rebellion. And again, I will talk more about this in my lecture, but that's just where the same word is used. And that's one of the things that draws a connection between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, that because the same word is used even though it's used differently. And this is poetry, which is why the same word can be used and mean something different and still be a, a trigger and a connection from one to the other. Poetry. You can do a lot of things with Hebrew poetry. We'll talk more about that as we get further into our study of Psalms. Hebrew poetry. Back to Psalm 2, verses 4 through 6. What is right in heaven? In this section, part two, the psalmist speaks and he's going to quote the Lord, God, Father God. So what's right in heaven? God is enthroned. He is aware of what's going on. He laughs and he ridicules what's going on. God speaks his plan and he says, I have consecrated my king. So, that's what's right in heaven. Part 3, Psalm 2, 7 through 9. Who will rule the earth? Now the psalmist is quoting the sun. The simple answer to the question, who will rule the earth? It's the sun. 
we know based on the New Testament that is Jesus, but the psalm doesn't actually have Jesus' name in it right now. So we're basically looking for the Son as the answer to the question. And then part four is Psalm 2, 10 through 12. What will your response be? And here the psalmist is speaking. He's bringing back, you know, we saw what the trouble was. We know what God says. We know what the answer is going to be. So what's your response going to be? Be wise. Receive instruction. Serve the Lord. Fear the Lord. Um, rejoice in and rejoice and pay homage to the Son. Take refuge in the Lord in his son. Almost everything in all three verses is what our instruction is there. There's a lot in Psalm 2 that we're not talking about because I'm bringing emphasis to who the anointed one is. My Hebrew project in my Hebrews class, like the Hebrew language class that I took in seminary, I did all on Psalm 2. And I'm going to dig out my notes on that and um, see if I might share some more information with everyone. But there's just a lot that we're not talking about because we're putting our focus on the anointed. So on the top of page 15, what is the Hebrew word for anointed? It's Mashiach. That C-H again is that hard K sound. And the definition is anointed one of the Messiah. Strong's says a consecrated person, consecrated, set apart, one anointed with oil. And I love this helpful explanation that I got from a different dictionary. This being anointed with oil indicates an authorized separation for God's service. To be anointed, to be the Mashiach, is the chosen one. Um, in the middle of the first italicized paragraph, you see Mashiach is a special eschatological end times figure. He's not just a, an historical king of Israel. I have a note that I've written in the middle of those two paragraphs. Mashiach is a king. He's the true king that God has already installed. The plan is set. So just if the word Messiah, um, in the definition, it doesn't say king, but it definitely is referring to that he is the king uh, in the big picture of who Messiah is and what anointed means. Um, in the middle of the page, it says, when we look to the New Testament, we come to understand the exact identity of the Messiah. And Acts 4, 23 through 27 helps us, especially since it quotes Psalm 2. Peter and John have just been released from prison. What verses from Psalm 2 do they quote? Verses 1 through 3. And then the next question, who do they interpret as the ones who are in rebellion against the Lord and his anointed? Verse 27, in this city gathered together Herod, Pilate, along with Gentiles and the people of Israel. Who were the kings of the earth gathered against? How is he described? Um, the kings of the earth are gathered against the Lord and against his Christ. 
there against thy holy servant, Jesus. So if you've been waiting to see the name of the G- of Jesus attached to uh, Mashiach, um, attached to Psalm 2, there his name is. Hallelujah, right? The name of Jesus. Now we looked up the definition of the word Christ in the Greek language, since we were looking at the New Testament. It's the Greek word Christos, and it's from the root word, which means to anoint. And Christos, the noun, means one who has been anointed, symbolizing appointment to a task. You see that this uh, matches uh, completely the Hebrew word for anointed. On page 16, just to be clear, read the sentence at the top of the page. The Messiah, Mashiach, is Jesus the Christ who appeared on the earth but then was cut off. He was rejected and crucified. That's what being cut off was referring to. And how true it is, the statement in the box we have in these first three verses of Psalm 2 a description of the hatred of human nature against the Christ of God. Psalm 2 gives us two important descriptions of the Lord's anointed. Who is he according to Psalm 2? My king, God's king, God's chosen king. God has appointed his king And who is he according to Psalm 2-7? He's the son of God. You are my son. God's son. So God's king and God's son. The Lord God Yahweh has placed his son on the throne to rule over all the nations. That is such good news every day. That is good news for all of the history that we've seen and for all of the future that we don't know what is in front of us. And it is true for eternity. It is just such good news. Psalm 1 declares the blessing of the Lord upon the man who meditates on his word. And Psalm 2 declares the blessing of the Lord upon those who put their trust in the coming Messiah. So we're seeing in the Psalms what makes somebody happy. It's living according to the word of the Lord. And trusting in the Messiah who is to come. You have to have, I mean, in the middle I said serving the Lord with reverence and worship. You have to know who the Lord is in his holiness, in his purity. And you have to fear him because when you don't fear him, then you don't realize you have a need to live according to his word and You don't realize you need a Messiah. You don't realize you need a Savior if you don't fear the Lord for who he is. So we're wrapping up the conclusion, which is the introduction. The word of God and the son of God are to be the passion and pursuit of our lives from which we will receive all blessings. I don't know if you want to do this, but I have a little note that may or may not be helpful. So just to review and kind of ask the ladies this as a review pop quiz, Psalm 1 tells us to focus on what? And the answer is the Word of God. They could say Torah. They could say teaching instruction. Um, And Psalm 2 tells us to focus on what? 
And the answer is the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah. Finally, I will mention a little bit about Psalms 3 through 7 in my lecture. You are free to comment on anything on page 17 if you want to, or ask ladies if they had any reactions or comments. It's not not required. Um, and I will, um, if they didn't read it, they'll want to read it before they start Psalm 8, because it brings uh, Psalm 1 and 2. It, it's a good follow-on to Psalm 1 and 2, but it also creates a beginning and sets the stage for Psalm 8. We'll talk about that more next time. Thank you so much for your love and delight in the Torah, the teaching of the Lord. And thank you for your leadership to ladies in your groups.